Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, everyone. I'm Ikra Shigufta-Chima, your host for the New Books Network. Today, we will talk with Hussam A. Ibrahim Al-Zambli and Imad al-Din Aisha about their book, Arab and Muslim Science Fiction, Critical Essays, which is published by McFarland in 2022. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, Ikra, for the kind invitation. Uh, could you both please introduce yourself and your work to the audience, starting with Imad? Uh, a yeah, doctor in the United States, Aisha, was born in the United Kingdom, 1974. I uh, got a PhD in the studies in 2001. I've uh, been living in Egypt since 2001. And what impressed me both in journalism, both in publication, and since 2015, started writing science fiction. In 2016, I met Dr. Hussam and joined the Egyptian Society of Science Fiction. And now I'm a member of the Egyptian Writer. Thank you so much. Uh, Dr. Hussam, could you introduce yourself, please? Yes, uh, my name is Hussam Abdelhamid Ibrahim Zimbidi. Uh, I'm a professor of ophthalmology, Minya University. Uh, I also have been uh, part-time teaching in the American University in Cairo in the issue of hospital management and people management. Uh, I have been a science fiction writer since uh, 2000. Uh, I wrote three novels and uh, wrote a, uh, about 20 uh, short stories in science fiction. I also wrote the Simplified Science uh, Encyclopedia for the Diseases of the Eye. Uh, I established the Egyptian Society for Science Fiction in the year 2012. Uh, and uh, I met uh, Dr. Imad in uh, year 2016, as he mentioned. And then we thought about our project, uh, which you have it in your hands. Great. Thank you so much. So tell us a little bit about the genesis of this work. How did you both start working on the book? How did you come up with the idea? Okay, Ahmed, would you like to start? Well, I'm inspired by Dr. Sam to work as a translator for the Egyptian Society. I actually went to um, like to get permission to translate their, their very first anthology founded by accident. And I was out of work at the time, the university rocket up right on 2013. And Jerusalem was doing very well either. So um right well hired as a translator and doing things like reading essays about their anthologies and contacting people. And in 2018, uh Dr. Sam came up with the idea we have to do something new, we have to do something different. We're gonna have to make a splash and get recognized and match this contact with individual people that they developed. And the, the idea of uh, both of well, first-person perspectives, actual authors and practitioners in the field, giving their stories and their comfort stories. And that's something that's never been done in book form about Arabic science fiction. There are books that came out roughly at the same time as ours, just a little bit before, just a little after. But there's always like just one academic author giving his analysis, his, his, uh, his views. And usually a foreign, no, actually always a foreign. And they're great books, but I know some of the authors personally. Dr. Yolot Mathai is definitely a great god. And he contacts people, talks to directly, as well as doing academic research. But this is getting it from the horse's mouth. And there's all this insider knowledge that wouldn't occur to whether they're more retinoresible. Dr. Pat? Dr. Stan, would you like to add something to that? Uh, yes. Uh... Actually, uh, the, 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 the very beginning of the idea maybe may go back to the year 2012, 
uh, after the 2011 revolution in Egypt, we had a revolution. This revolution was aimed to uh, install democracy in Egypt uh, as we were an autocratic nation. Uh, so uh, after that, uh, uh, we felt that uh, scent of uh, freedom. So we wanted to be productive and we want to add to that change. So what we had in hand is to uh, establish the Egyptian Society for Science Fiction. Uh, at that time, I, I didn't have a, quite a contact with Dr. Imad, uh, maybe through the emails or uh, messenger or something like that. Uh, but uh, we established the society and the society had two main activities. Uh, the uh, series of anthology, which is called Sharon Selmaled. Uh, we have uh, eight or uh, almost nine uh, volumes of it uh, right now. Uh, and we have the Egyptian Society for Science Fiction Salon. This salon is about 63 uh, salons up till now, uh, with 63 guests at least and 63 uh, sci-fi work, uh, Egyptian or Arabic sci-fi work have been discussed. Uh, when we thought of going further from Egypt, going further to spread, so we thought about the Arab world, and then we thought about the Muslim world. So the only thing that we could think of is to have a uh, work, a literary work, that could uh, get us all in in that circle. Uh, so we thought about writing a book about the Arab and Muslim science fiction. We haven't seen anyone writing uh, about that before. Uh, maybe at the same time, while, while we were writing the book, uh, Letterman, uh, a friend, uh, a German friend, he was working in Qatar. He wrote also a book about the Arab and Muslim science fiction. Uh, but maybe our book is uh, quite unique because it is written by Egyptian and Arab and Muslim uh, authors and editors. Uh, so uh, we uh, we started thinking about the book. Uh, we wanted to reach out for the non-Arabic speaking world. Uh, so this was the only tool as the beginning for that outreach. Uh, and uh, then we started the mission. We tried to finish it in time. I think it was supposed to be finished by the year 2020. Uh, but uh, there was a lot of hurdles that met us. Uh, and uh, by the by the severe and stringent work of Dr. Imet, we managed to overcome these difficulties. And finally, we got it through with the help of McFarland Publishing uh, publishing House. Thank you. Wonderful. I'm glad that you came through all those challenges. So how would you describe this book to the audience? Uh, well, uh, this book is about uh, 383 pages. Uh, it comes in uh, three uh, sectors. Uh, the first section or sector uh, is about uh, who science fiction is it? And uh, actually, it is uh, written by Western science fiction writers, uh, James Gunn and uh, Marcus uh, Wiley. Uh, and then we went to section two, which is the local voices. And this is the biggest, the bulk of the book. Uh, we have essays and interviews uh, from Egypt and North Africa and from uh, Saudi Arabia and from uh, 
uh, non-African Arab countries, uh, as well as from uh, Muslim countries, other than the Arab countries, and also from Muslim writers in Western countries. Uh, and then uh, the last section was about uh, literature in appraisal. Uh, Rebecca Hankins uh, and uh, Barbara and Arik Ibrahim uh, participated in that section. Arik Ibrahim is our uh, one of our eminent translators. Uh, she and Imad uh, held the burden of translation of many of my work and many of my colleagues' work. They did a great job and they are the only translator that we have right now. Uh, that's uh, about the uh, the overall look of the book. Would you like to add something, Ahmed? We've got uh, 45 contributors, 29 countries, four continents, 45 chapters, 13 proper academic articles, bearing in-depth articles, 17 interviews, and 15 personal essays. And we have some big names from all over the world. Of course, James Dark passed away in that one. And Rebecca Hackins, who was appointed by President Obama uh, to be a mission uh, archivist. Now we have Dr. Neb Mpawa, the controversial document created from Kuwait. We have uh, Noura Noman, the first and top SF writer in New LE. And we also have Dr. Ibrahim. And uh, an Iraqi, uh, Iraqi American Britisher, who was the guy who did the PhD and was used by the Bush administration to invade Iraq. And of course, they um, tried to prove they had weapons of mass destruction, which was in them. And that's one of the things that helped them become a science fiction writer as well as an academic. Yeah, definitely. The book is very impressive in the range of the essays that it has and um, in its diversity. And I have some questions about that too, but we'll come back to that later. So, um, Hussam, in your chapter in the first section of the book, you discuss the continuum which delineates the four waves of Egyptian sci-fi. So what has been the role of the Egyptian society for science fiction in this whole conversation? I also saw that they have contributed quite a few chapters in the book as well. Um, that have uh, interviews or just like commentary on sci-fi in Algeria, Lebanon, Kuwait, Yemen, Afghanistan, Turkey, Indonesia, Africa. Uh, okay, uh, about the continuum or the old wave of the Egyptian science fiction, uh, I managed to spark a continuum. Actually, this continuum is in the form of four waves. Uh, the first wave, uh, I called it the exploratory wave. Uh, where the Egyptian writers, that was early and back in the 20th century, uh, Awfiq al-Hakim and Yusuf al-Din Isa uh, made their work. And uh, when I went through their works, I found uh, that uh, they were not mainly concerned about science fiction, but they touched the science fiction within their novels. Uh, so, uh, and uh, dealing with the science fiction was not purely scientific. Uh, maybe it was quite superficial, uh, without going into the fine details of the theory or even the the expected theory. You know, science fiction is dealing with the real theory and the expected theory. Uh, but uh, they started to to put on the light on that kind of literature that we didn't have in Egypt or the Arab world. Although it might be uh, said that. Uh, uh, 
uh, is a mythology that has some sci-fi, some bits of sci-fi within it. Uh, then uh, comes the second wave. Uh, the second wave, I called it the foundation wave or the establishment wave. Uh, and it was led mainly by a very eminent and prominent sci-fi writer. His name was Niachri. I call him the dean of the Egyptian science fiction. Nihat uh, Sharif uh, wrote uh, very uh, specifically in science fiction. He didn't write in any other uh, sort of literature. Uh, he wrote extensively. He has like uh, tens of works, literary works in science fiction. He managed to break the barriers between literature and movie industry and TV and radio. And this is very, very tough barrier that we are trying to break right now. And we are having difficulty in that. Uh, if we manage to break that barrier, we would have achieved a great uh, spread to the uh, to our uh, paths. Uh, then comes the third wave. Third wave uh, came uh, by the end of the 20th century, and it was mainly by two eminent figures. Uh, they write for the youth. They, their, their novels are mainly for the youth. Uh, that was uh, Dr. Nabil Farooq and Dr. Ahmed Khalid Dafi. Dr. Nabil Farooq wrote a marvelous series called Malaf al Mustaqbal or The Files of Tomorrow. Uh, this uh, Files of Tomorrow is a series about 160 books. Uh, it's for the youth and uh, it is uh, in science fiction. Uh, but it, it, it's it's the ideas and the discussion of the ideas was not was not that deep, uh, but uh, the audience liked it, and the Egyptian youth liked it, and uh, he has huge base of fans. Uh, so uh, science fiction uh, became a tasty meal for the brain of our Egyptian youth. Uh, uh, I wrote within that uh, wave, me and uh, Muhammad Nagib Matar. Muhammad Nagib Matar is the co-founder co co with me in the Egyptian Society of Science Fiction, as well as Imad, as well as uh, Khalid Gouda, as well as Qadriya Saeed, uh, Dr. Qadriya Saeed, uh, uh, so Dr. Uh, engineer uh, Hatim Al-Banna, uh, uh, Wahid Rahim. And Mahmoud Abdul Rahim, uh, we have uh, many that uh, shared in the establishment of the Egyptian Society of for Science Fiction. Then comes the, the final and the fourth wave. And here comes the Egyptian Society for Science Fiction. Uh, when we founded the, the Egyptian Society for Science Fiction, we started to look what can we add to the Egyptian uh, science fiction. Uh, we found that many of the writings before that was uh, some, somewhat copying the West. Uh, the same ideas, the repetition of the ideas, the repetition of the linearons. So we wanted to have our own taste. We are a different civilization. Uh, so we wanted the Western and the other world to know uh, uh, more and more about our civilization. So uh, most of those who write uh, in the fourth wave, I call it the wave of authenticity, uh, to have an authentic taste for the Arab 
and Egyptian Arab and Muslim civilization. Uh, we have that heroes that have their own uh, values, that have their own practices, uh, that have their own ideas. We also touch sometimes the religious conflict that may be present in our societies between the Muslims and the Christians, and the forgiveness that is present in the majority of the cases. Some exceptional cases, there is some hate crimes, but we all condemn the hate crimes that may appear on the surface. Uh, the, the vast majority, there is a harmony uh, between uh, the, the Muslim and the, the uh, Christian minority in our society, uh, uh, as well as the uh, the scenes, the places, the, the geography, the uh, the background of the heroes, the, the even the way of thinking, uh, the culture that we have, how they think, uh, the, the the normal uh, Egyptian people. Uh, they think differently, they have a different culture, so they think differently about different issues in their life. We wanted to highlight that, we wanted to spot that, we wanted to frame that and show it to the Western and other world reader, readers. Uh, the Egyptian society uh, made that through the, uh, the two, uh, the, the two uh, pillars of activity. The first pillar is the anthology, which is Shams al-Ghad. The second pillar is the salon. And then uh, me and the Ahmed wanted to spread. And this is normal. When you, when you grow, you need to spread. Uh, so we, uh, we had that book, the Arab and Muslim science fiction. And we also have a new idea that may, I might uh, give it to you as an exclusive news for your podcast. Uh, this idea that we're thinking to have the Arab Muslim sci-fi league, uh, and uh, yeah, we 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 if, if you if you let us, please, we would like to use your platform to start that uh, league. Thank you, Ekra. That's all. Yeah, thank you so much for sharing that, Dr. Uh, um And we can definitely talk more about that. We'll be in touch regarding that. So the next question I have for Imad about your chapter. So your chapter, mending the Egyptian gap, discusses the challenges of Arab and Islamic science fiction. Could you share some details about that with us? Uh, we have a funny story. Um, I have originally written that chapter for another book before, the, uh, before I joined the Egyptian Society. We're uh, a university in Bethel, country, and then that book project didn't fall through because they couldn't get the other contributors to work on time. I, I was very book. Uh, so I have this wonderful chapter, so I, I put it in with this book. And basically, one of our Iranian prosecutors, her chapter, which is one of the most substantive chapters we have, also was for that exact same uh, book project that fell through. Because people wouldn't say, you know, work on time. Right? This is a funny coincidence. Yeah, the other thing, I mean, I'm, I've been working as a journalist since 2003. I've been in the university teaching since 2001, keep up and pray with the journals. I'm a bit of an investigative journalist, so I, I bring those skills to my turn writing here at Side of Life. And I wanted to tackle the that topic of the uh, hurdles facing Egyptian science fiction, both as an academic, kind of historical perspective, cultural perspective, and as a you know, hands on ground level and you know, investigative. On the cultural level, there's this, you know, the longest time I think is this cultural backdrop which I discovered by accident reading a book about theater and the Arab history, or the lack of 
We would have all this wonderful heritage kind of like in the Greeks, but we never developed those. And it would come small exceptions here and there. But specifically, Hermiales did their emphasis was all on poetry and stories, mainly poetry. And it seems that there was this kind of metaphysical shock when Herb's thoughts read Greek tragedies and all inspired by gods and mind fighting with themselves and fighting society and these internal it just it was too much for them. Right? Right. 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 And he's still hearing me. I have problems with my demo. Right. Yes, I can hear. Yes. And it was just too much for him. I couldn't ignore it. Even a great rationalist philosopher like him, Professor Aristotle, he couldn't translate tragedy and comedy and power with these very bizarre translations relying on the poetry of poetry. And this continued for a long time in Arabic history. Uh, even if you look at early science fiction, which mostly came from Egypt, there was a lot of hostility, not so much to science, but the modern science, seeing it as a character Western, character materialist, character destructive of nature, character destructive of the society, family. And you always get these cop outs happening in science fiction stories to this day, where at the critical juncture in the story, the hero wakes up and will all agree. It's frustrating, hell, and it still happens to this day. I'm fond of it, even when science fiction probably like five years ago or seven years ago. Thank heavens we were recovering that. I thought about the doctrines, I thought that the sound is you know, explaining that the whole basis, less stages. And this is truly general, Gabor, not just in Egypt. I'd say that many good notion. No, actually, it's truly in general. Um, uh, now, from the investigative journalism point of view, the economics of publishing. Now, I'll give you a ridiculous story. I was once involved with a textbook project, a textbook publisher, a magician by, well, as a copy in Saudi Arabia. And he insisted that I sign a contract saying that uh, any uh, any mistakes, factual errors in the textbook or my responsibility is the author. And I said, no. You're the editor, and we're supposed to check out in a newspaper if I publish something. Even though I publish something wrong, it's the editor's fault because he allowed it. And he just he wouldn't budge on that, and I wouldn't budge either. The other thing is he insisted on paying us, uh, me and two other contributors, in, in installments based on the sale. So I, I didn't have experience at the time. So I talked to some guys I know in a, in a bookshop, book publisher, and they saw the contract at the last. And say, what's he going to do? Show you memos about how many profits he's made this month and this year? Lump sum fear, nothing. So I insisted on lump sum fear. He gave me half of the property, but I never heard from him again. And my two contributor friends who did a tremendous service, they didn't get the single penny. So that, that's what publishing is like there. When Dr. Hassan can give you horror stories about our anthology, Defense of Revenge, Summit tomorrow. Ridiculous lot of the friends. But they're great publishers. It's changing back then. So now we're getting proper sci-fi fantasy publishers here in Egypt, and there's lots of enthusiasm and lots of authors from outside the field with Kevin Barr. It's changing. But the general problem is you have a very regressive business model. They publish like they sign up and wait three months to find out what sales are like. We don't have proper national chains for publishing certain bookstores, but publishers, a lot of them don't. Uh, there are no literary agents, no literary agents, and you have nobody to represent you and market your work. Um, you have very lax uh, legal, um, legal codes covered 
copyright statement to uh, copyright files and uh, obscure laws concerning publisher products. When I look for councils of publishing infringement and these kind of things, I don't have much negotiating power. You have to self-finance a lot of the time. And it's just atrocious. But it's changing that happens. Last two Cairo International Book Fairs, I was shocked at the number of publishers specializing in SF practice. I was shocked at the number of series specializing. Well, not many not SF in practice, but they have SF in practice elements to them. And now you're beginning to get heavy duty trilogies, books on this technology, this bit in trilogies, and hard sight and sci-fi series for children, hard sci space travel, aliens going into black holes, going back to the time, Sarah Hinge, ground swap, and there's TV series finally coming out, varying degrees of success on road science fiction, slash horror and science fiction, post-operas, but horror fantasy was still more popular. If anything, horror is not a difficult combat. I'm very annoying to find the horror full of genes and demonic possession, people using genes to score for married life, bullet, or uh, workplace, but at least kind of paranoids and immediate animal couples. Bono was done in very good job, but and she did look like review life because somebody must have done a magic spell. Things that but 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 uh, and but um and there's also some alternative avenues. Audiobooks, online publishing, uh, self-publishing, translation, that's helping a lot. And we're meeting friends abroad with albums. But it's still not organized level publishers, and we still need literary agents. Otherwise, foreign publishers won't touch us when it comes to pitch. Thank you so much for sharing that. Uh, could you speak about the possibility or the impossibility for example, in Palestinian fiction, alongside addressing the uses, challenges, and the needs for sci-fi worlds in war-ridden Muslim countries like Palestine or Yemen or Sudan, etc., I'm especially thinking of your chapter, Imad. So could you speak specifically to that? And then um, also thinking about the epigraph to the book that both of you have written. Um, I'll leave the epigraph to Dr. Hussain. Um, concerning Palestine, Palestine, Yemen, Bosnia, Iran, Afghanistan, all war-torn countries, and I'm very different. Yeah. I mean, the huge problems we have with the publish by Bosnia. Well, I don't know much about Bosnia, but most of these kind of problems that we have here in Egypt like with the publishing industry. Also, literary critics and most authors are obsessed with realism, as well as the book about the year now. Uh, countries like Yemen don't just have censorship. We have Individuals about taking books out and threatening to kill authors, you make trouble. There's not even just the central government that sanctions with our bags coming out. But I'm pretty sure that's not a fucking joke. By the time we got the book published, we thought about never made the comeback. First, we published England, been over and done with that But at God, do you need science fiction and privacy for? More our best occupier peoples, more than well, more than uh, end promotions than just their development. Science fiction in particular means uh, construction of the future, constructive imagination, not just dreaming of a better future. You're figuring out how to make it happen. And by anticipating it, you actually make it happen. Uh, Ibrahim Masala, he gave a talk to so his book, The uh, Second World in the Dark. You're in Egypt, I attended it in the bookstore. Sadly, I when I back of my mobile phone ran out of power, so I couldn't report her. But he explained that resistance literature in Palestine 
happened before actual physical resistance against the early did And I like design assassinations, designs, and I English occupation. And by anticipating their big paper, they gave people hope that people could band together and fight for their rights. And one of the things I did in Palestine plus 100, while I was writing the story, which uh, is a whole funny story there too, I brought and I heard about the anthology. I couldn't think of anything specific. I went to uh, uh, the great place in Firefall, the Tunas, the Caitlin Depths, Sacramento. And I found a book on uh, an attempt to set up the Palestinian government in 1948, which fell through. Um, while I was leaving, I had to have to go to the metro station, the underground station, to get to it. It's the only way, because the lava road is very loud. I saw a VR console, and the two ideas sliced together in my head. It was an electronic government, virtual government. So in the story, you have a VR thing where you have the future Palestine and all these options. And then while I was writing that, when I was that first scene, I began with the economic option, agricultural option. About then, I said, wait a minute, I'm thinking like a man. I'm thinking about economics and putting the final in. And go out sustainable development. What about family life? What about women? What about... So I put in an option where you revive the old or a, a social order, but in history, ancient history, where women actually have a lot of autonomy. They get who they, who they matter. And I've been five in the Quran and the Bible. Incidentally. I taught a course on our family. It's about how the family structure environment. So I was forced to teach it. But thank heavens, I did that. I found out amazing things. It, um, the traditional mind, the bright price, which exists in uh, the Near East, it began because a man had to live with the wife, uh, the family of his wife. And so they had to work for them for a period of five to three. And Moses had to work for eight years, Jacob had to work for ten years. And with time, that just became this love center, the bright price. So we had a lot of autonomy and they would tell husbands where to live. They had to live with their neural farmers. They said, revive that, put that in the story. Don't think that can happen. They can go out for everything. But then, you talk to world building, and you have to have a cosmopolitan and inclusive model of your European world futures, the futurism, including uh, women, looking at other cultures, looking at other experiences. And if you look at Palestinian science fiction, that's implicitly there. I'm not fighting by Palestinian and uh, uh, magic brains in the story. Uh, Sabina Jun, the meta of the pirate, the national book player, my daughter is not, but fantastic. This Palestinian guy, I think in the West Bank, he's dreaming of his sweetheart, and he becomes these different people in different parts of different levels of society in Palestine and different Arabic countries. Looking at Tunisia after the Arab Spring, again, the Arab Spring, and falling in love with a Tunisian woman, and she embodies the future. And it, it just wonderful. He, he, he had his point in the environment, the Palestinian environment. Colors and sounds and smells and the what Rath what Dracula has done and the smell of the smell of jasmine and the colors that you have in boards, which are very different than in Egyptian house. They have blue, bronze, and gray. Egyptians have their beige, gold, and brown, and Austria, and things like that. But with the same time, we have this kind of future vision, implicitly. The fine fiction can do that explicitly in a very constructive or logical way. But with the economy look like, or with social relationships look like, uh, but with the state look like, 
what kind of technology do you need to make it happen? Or what kind of education system? How should you bring up our kids? What role the, the must play of the church play and civil society? Well, the state is a woman, except and stop them. And that the fact was brought back up to Thank you so much for commenting on that. Shapur would you like to comment or respond to the question? Uh, yes. Uh, about the epigraph, uh, about the epigraph of the book, uh, when, we, when I wrote the preface, uh, the preface of the book uh, was uh, talking about the uh, how the, uh, the Egyptian Society for Science Fiction came into reality. And uh, we consider the Egyptian Society for Science Fiction as the fruit of the 2011 revolution. And even after the setback, there is a setback in democracy or freedom rights in Egypt in the year 2013. Uh, so the activities of the Egyptian society have come to slow down. So it's, it's like hibernated. Uh, till uh, 2017, when we decided to deactivate the Egyptian society's society of science fiction and its activities. Uh, so we started again, or suppose we started again the production of our anthologies. Uh, so the Egyptian Society for Science Fiction is the fruit of the uh, 2011 revolution of Egypt. And then this book, I consider it as the fruit of the uh, Egyptian Society for Science Fiction. So or it is the granddaughter of the 2011 revolution. Uh, when we matured enough within the Egyptian uh, society, so we thinking we thought about spreading to the Arab and Muslim countries. So the first initiative that we would do is the introduction of that book. And once me and the Ahmed introduced the idea to uh, the societies all around the world, uh, everyone was enthusiastic, and not only the Arab Muslim uh, writers, but also from the Western countries and all over the world. Uh, we had a great help from uh, many Westerners, uh, James Gunn, uh, Rebecca Hawkins, uh, and Barbara, uh, uh, as well as uh, Determin. Uh, uh, if anyone else uh, from the Western countries, uh, you will remind the event. Yeah, I think they were the, these were four main main authors that helped uh, a lot about the production of this book. Uh, we have our quotes uh, at the beginning of the book. Uh, this quote, uh, me and the map developed it, and uh, we find it uh, very, uh, 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 yeah, I mean, uh, very. Uh, uh, very inspiring for us and for all the readers. Uh, we say we evolve through science fiction. Uh, we believe that uh, evolution of the human beings uh, comes through science fiction. Uh, scientists get inspired by science fiction. Uh, Apollo uh, journeys to the moon were inspired by Jules Verne writings about journey uh, journey to the moon. Uh, most of the modern uh, inventions were inspired by science fiction. So science fiction is a tool through which we evolve. This is this is a fact. Uh, even handling the, the very very complicated issues of quantum physics, 
uh, and relativity theories uh, and uh, is handled by science fiction movies uh, you know have you, I don't know if you have seen the latest movie The End uh, and uh, The Wasp of Quantum Mania have you seen that movie no you don't know okay <laughs> Yes, uh, there are many movies. Even even the last uh, the, the set of the, the Avengers: End of Times, uh, they discussed the very complicated nature of uh, relativity and quantum physics. Uh, otherwise, there was no way for these kinds of theories and this kind of science to reach to the normal people. Uh, I admire. The most the most sci-fi movie about space I admire is the Interstellar. Uh, how meticulously, how scientifically it was revised, um, and how scientifically it was executed. Uh, how were the scientific theories were simplified and were executed within the fabric of that movie is truly inspiring. Uh, we could not uh, forget. To mention that we, uh, during the uh, uh, before the acknowledgement of the book, we acknowledged uh, uh, all of the contributors. Uh, we also uh, did not forget about uh, the dedication of the book uh, to the uh, to our nation, the Arab Muslim civilization, and then to the Egyptian Arab and Muslim youth, and finally to all the sci-fi readers, writers, and critics, and the academics all over the world. Because our aim from this book is to reach out for the world, the whole world. We know English is a universal language, so we didn't try to write this book in Arabic. So we insisted on writing this book in English to reach out for the audience, other than the Arab and Muslim world. Uh, that's uh, mainly what I wanted to say about the epic of the book. Okay, thank you so much for sharing that. So while reading this book and encountering the wide range of science fictions that this book talks about from the Muslim and Arab world, I was thinking about the question of language. And you talked about that a little bit when you were talking about the translators that we have in the Egyptian Society for Science Fiction. So um, how does a book like yours deal with the diversity of languages in which literary fictions are written? Or um, how do you think about that in the context of Egyptian Society for Science Fiction? Uh, well, uh, the, most most of the uh, of the writers that we managed to get in touch with, they write either in English or in Arabic. Uh, although there there might be some writers who write in Turkish, in uh, Farsi, in Iran, and uh, maybe in uh, uh, Pakistani or Indian language, uh, but uh, even in Pakistan and India, they write uh, most of the works in English uh, and. Most of the uh, Egyptian writers uh, have uh, good skills in English language. Uh, we have the translators, even not only that book. So uh, that book, uh, we don't have any difficulty in in reaching out most of the educated sector in Egypt. Uh, but uh, we have some trials now to translate this book in Arabic uh, through our connections with the many publishing houses and even uh, through the uh, the Azhar, Azhar University uh, have contacted us and they were thinking about translation of this book in Arabic. 
in the series Shams uh, al-Ghad, we have uh, like uh, eight anthologies, and we have uh, maybe this is one of them. It's called the Muqawwun, and in each anthology, we ended by a translated uh, story of one of our writers. Uh, this translated short story is translated into English because the whole anthology is in Arabic. Uh, but uh, we tried to uh, have a share for the English language in each volume of our uh, series. Uh, so we have a translated short story at the end of each volume. Uh, and this is, uh, as I think, might be the tool uh, to reach out for the non-Arabic speaking world. Imad, if you want to add something? I also wonder if you have to mention our two illustrators. And we're having an illustration with Dr. Hassan. Now, I'm Mark Gamev and Yafir and the big. Yes. 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 Two very gifted illustrators. Yes. We cannot forget their efforts in, in making the illustrations in the book. Definitely. Ammar Gamal and Yahya Abul Ghid. Ammar doesn't give you what you tell him, but he gives you something that's better. He can be a decided battle. He's asking that we're going to be better than to describe it. Or give you an alternative to that. And Dr. Hassan, he thinks in a uh, diagrammatic way, because he's a prophesied medical doctor. I'm the quality of that. That's just a big concept, the social philosophy. Ah, but concerning their language, um, I, I translated uh, also a lot of their material to uh, certain authors, and some didn't speak English, spoke French. I've had the bigger and right now. And what I tried to do was capture the tonality of the voices, the way they thought. Some write in a very strict, dry academically. Others talk about themselves. Might be missed in my experience. So kind of make little clips of uh, I always practice in this and so on. You try to capture them. Um, looking at language in a broad range of languages, you find remarkable similarity in the way his Muslim approach science fiction. Correct technique. And I'll show you the, the words used. In Arabic, we say, Khayyad, right? Khayyad is imagination and writing is scientific. In, uh, in Turkish, they say, Fenni Edebiyat. Edebiyat in Arabic is literature. Fenni, in Arabic, it means uh, a professional skill, like being an artist. But uh, they use it to mean science. So it's not too far away. In uh, Indonesia, it's Ixi Inia. Inia, scientific, Ixi fiction. Persian, it's Aini Khayyad. Aini, scientific, Khayyali, imagination, magic. Now, this is great, but it's also a problem. Because when you say the word Khayyan, imagination, uh, that word gets overlapped in fiction because it's not really real fiction, and it gets overlapped with, with their fantasy, magic realism, sorry. I mentioned in my chapter on Egypt, and then a swan, when I asked a question that the uh, talk he did at the American University of Bible about science fiction, and he straight was there, oh, we have lots of stuff, like, what's it like to be a popular plant? And he thought, he's thinking of magic realism. It's just completely different. Science fiction is constructive imagination, constructive fantasy. You're imagining things that don't exist in the future, 
but in a way where they could exist. You can believe it can make them great. And by anticipating the future, actually help create. When uh, Dr. Sam Zeller and Jules Verne, Jules Verne actually came up with the idea of multi-phase rockets, which we use neutral the war and then they can be moved on a mission. And also came up with the idea of sending the ship, um, the rocket from, uh, from uh, Florida, because it's the best way to get to the moon in short short. He actually anticipated he anticipated nuclear power for it, for it, for it, leads under the sea wall, the Nautilus. The first nuclear power sub in America was actually called the Nautilus, after Jules Verne. And people, scientists actually read science fiction as kids, and they become captivated, and they don't make these things actually happen, engineers. Uh, it's, uh, yeah. So this overlap with terminology, fiction, imagination, and fantasy. And it, it strangles a lot of science fiction. It, people don't take it seriously. Normal people don't say, oh, it's unrealistic. It's what do I care? I have enough problems with myself. Critics can't stand it. No one's a reflection of reality, reflection of reality. They don't understand that this whole thing about art being a reflection of reality. Mirror shows you something you can't see through face. Art is supposed to show you the things that you don't know are happening, like journalism, but even more so, actually, not that the world will live now. And, uh, Looking at uh, Soviet science fiction, in talking about the reality, and it's not one of the best in the industry. Well, he explained that the Soviet system, which practically invented socialist realism, they also have surrealism and actually part of science fiction. It's a distracted look. It's not subversive. It won't make people overthrow us, make one think about the future. But SF writers, these groups, is a way to critique uh, the Soviet system. That, um, in Egypt, in Arabic countries, and TV drama, they always do historical drama to critique the modern political situation. Zemin the old race, the bad, over in Dublin. The Soviet writers did it by looking at the future. They have future systems, development systems, or, and ways to fight back, and ways to create a better system. Where I'm going to add there, they were Surgatsky, they were the two part uh, radical papers in the Soviet Union. And I've read one of their novels about it. And you can tell they're laughing in the Soviet Union. There's a scene where uh, this guy steals a spaceship. Or he, he pretends to be an astronaut. It's a spaceship. And his friend tells him, well, what do we figure out we're not astronauts? Don't worry. The real astronauts show up. They'll take hours proving that they're astronauts, getting the paperwork and making phone calls. By then, it'll be logged on. <laughs> you can tell he's laughing in the Soviet Union. And it does it in such a fun way and in a very constructive way. You have all these green card five concepts on there. And also, we as Adam with an advantage of having an overlap with fantasies, bring in elements from fantasy. On the submits. A lot of our authors are border and if anything, they're more like what's fantasy. I'm the hard science about divided boy in But we ran with Dr. Hassan. His first attempt at the novel, he was, he was inspired by the novel one month, and I read his latest story, not really about it, except on Mars. And you could they have storytelling. Every day, somebody tells a story, and you can tell that Stolten Punchup has had 9,000 wrong months. So we have this, we, our, our language dilemma, it's, it's a crutch, and a stepping stone we can build at the same time. And we can make a distinct contribution to the global account, yes, well, science fiction policy. That's not Great. Thank you so much for sharing that. So how do you suggest academics and readers approach this book? Uh, well, uh, 
this book is actually uh, uh, it can can fit the the academic as well as the non-academics. So uh, for critics and for the uh, the uh, the departments of literature and critics, it is going to be very beneficial, especially if uh, they have a department for Middle Eastern studies or Middle Eastern literature. Uh, I think it's also enjoyable for the non-academics and or for the regular readers as well. Uh, the 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 stories and the context and the, the storytelling style of many of the essays within the, that book. Uh, I think it's quite interesting. Maybe Hikra, you can tell us uh, what was your experience uh, reading uh, that book. Uh, also, for those who are interested to know more about the uh, the Egyptian, the Arabic, and the Muslim countries, uh, this is a good window. Uh, it's it's a window for the enlightened people. Uh, it's a window for the scientific scientifically thinking people. Uh, hopefully, those scientists uh, can uh, pave the way for the development of our societies. Uh, science fiction in Egypt and maybe in our countries uh, does not have is not that privileged. Maybe uh, the uh, the vast majority of uh, writers uh, ignore uh, and underestimate the value of science fiction. Uh, this is what, what we are trying to change. We're trying to change that culture that is antagonizing us. Uh, we are uh, swimming against the stream. Uh, uh, the, the vast majority of our people, even during early times at school, they don't like science, they don't like biology, they don't like chemistry, and they envision science fiction as that bitter memories of studying biology and chemistry. So they, when they hear uh, the word science fiction, they have the chills and they would like to withdraw from that book. Uh, so maybe Nabitho has done a great job in that. Uh, hopefully we can do that, uh, but uh, we need the su support of the media, support of the uh, movie industry, support of the TV, the radio, and even uh, support of the governors and the president of the countries. Uh, if they decide that uh, the presence of science fiction culture is a matter of national security, I think it's also a matter of national security. Ignored people will definitely lead to ignorant society. We definitely lead to a country that is so underdeveloped and so non-competitive and so non-giving to the human civilization. We want to share, give our share in the in the joy science fiction in the the in the in the in, for pushing the uh, the mankind to uh, you know, even even uh, I would like to share with you some of the scientific predictions that I mentioned in my book the last voyage and uh, I have another book that I published early in two thousand and one uh, because I consider scientific predictions uh, is one of the integral parts of science fiction all over the world. Uh, uh, I wrote about the. Uh, individually testing machine for a uh, human body. Uh, it was a machine that I thought examining every cell of the human body to detect 
uh, any disease or any uh, defect in the metabolism of that cell. Uh, that was in, in my book, The Great Space Saga, that was in 2001. Uh, and I believe science came with a PET scanning, which is quite close to that machine. Uh, uh, but I think there was a, there will be a better machine than the PET scanning in the future that can detect uh, not not the, the anatomical aspect of the sense, but also the functional and the metabolic and the chemical processes that going wrong within the cell. Uh, this is one of my uh, scientific prediction. Uh, also, uh, in the, the book. Uh, uh, the last voyage, this book won the literary award of the uh, Science Academy of Egypt in 2022. Uh, it is a science fiction novel on Mars uh, and one of the very few uh, novels that we have in the, the Arab and Muslim countries that it's it's all, all of the, the events and all the actions uh, is going on the surface and under the surface of Mars. Uh, uh, in that book, I uh, also anticipated the presence of, uh, uh, of autonomy or the AI and the robots. And this is a very huge dilemma. I think we're living the age of IA now. Uh, and the most of the scientists of AI are really expecting uh, that uh, and, and a state of autonomy or uh, individual decision making or individual cons conscious. Uh, they finally uh, be present in those AI entities, and I think it would be a great threat to the human civilization. I also put in that book the first uh, the first rules for the uh, for the conscious robot, uh, because I recall that uh, Asimov put the rules for the robots in general, the unconscious robot for the function, then. Uh, I put these words a further step and laid down the rules for the conscious robot. I think we will be dealing with that problem quite soon. Thank you very much. Yes. Yes, Imad, go ahead. Um, for the casual reader, I would say uh, read it, find out what's happening on the other side, find out what your what your opposite number, somewhere else is going. What's different about this science fiction and what problems it's facing? And read it for half a part. There's lots of fun and story anecdotes and little facts about the people who went by, like about Hello, where Darth Vader and Solo actually come from the sci fi history. Now let's go. For the academic, uh, it's a must be, definitely, but I want the academic to use this as a mirror to see, to understand his own science fiction more fully by looking at how different our science fiction ways and from there to use this as a kind of foundation stone for exploring you know, new, uh, new uh, lines of research. For instance, Morietto is a Western science fiction, how Arabs and Muslims are portrayed and how the culture of the And one way, of course, is by looking and encouraging Arab and Muslim science fiction. We need more research on translation. We only have one article uh, in all broadcast but we were hoping to have an extra article also on that with, with bonus translation with business collaborative we all that filled out their estimate. Well, we need to look at the transmission market and how it's skewed, favoring certain people compared to others, certain genres, some genres compared to others. 
I felt a little more on this, but I can only do so much. Well, there has to be a proper conservative, but a proper research project in the universe. But we fired the first shots. That's it. But uh, we need to uh, explore, or we need to see here again the typology of our like, most of sci fi and how it's different than Western sci fi. Our steampunk is different, our cyberpunk is different, our climate friction is different. And we have our own emergent subgenre, if you call it Sufi science we were going to have a chapter on that in the book, but again, not without the last minute part. Tragically. But the reductive proceedings long on uh, the, uh, the final voyage, that's a super science fiction. Very explicit. But again, I will talk about We also need more research on gender and art of Muslim necessity. We had, we have 14 where you know, contributions, but I insist about getting as as, as many in the end, I have, you know, pocket images as possible. But I still feel we, we didn't deal with, enough with the topic. We should have had a specialized chapter on that. Whether it's female participation in the field or gender as a theme in Harvard Minister Satisfaction. I've been trying to fill that gap with some smaller articles in six. Now, but thank heavens in our anthology, we have a cascading number of female authors. It gets better almost every edition. We're helping with gender violence. But I still want to know what uh, what anxieties men, Arabic, Muslim men, might have in those sites. It's still, they're still too early to say. But when we need a proper research project, us and foreign universities, that, that gap would be broken. Definitely. Thank you so much for sharing there. There's definitely a need for more work in the field, and I'm glad that you're doing more of it. Thank you so much for a wonderful discussion today. My pleasure.